Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Ricky. And this is Season 3, Episode 12 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, blah, 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 as I totally get that all wrong. Should come out on June 22nd, 2020. And uh, we got like some stuff that we're going to talk about, um, some things that are just kind of silly and some things that I'm super excited about and some things that are just freaking terrifying. Um, but to begin with, let's talk about some, I called it sweet apple wine, but I made an apple wine. Um, so it's basically just apple cider that got above uh, 7% ABV, I believe is the, the um, thing. So it's an apple cider. Um, I put double the amount of um, concentrate in it. So instead of it being apple juice, Mott's apple juice plus concentrate, then just one thing per gallon, uh, one uh, 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 container of concentrate per gallon that I make. So normally I put two in. Uh, I put four in just to see what would happen. And uh, what I predicted would happen uh, was that it would, you know, uh, become a, uh, higher ABV. Thing. Mm. And then I use yeah. Lawden EC 1118, uh, yeast in it. And so, um, one of the things that keeps happening with this though, uh, is the wine bottles keep popping their tops. <laughs> they keep shooting the, the cork out of it that I put in, which is great because it means that I don't have any bottle bombs. Uh, but I've had to drink this a little bit faster um, so <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I'm probably going to refrigerate the rest of the ones that I want to keep so that they'll stay, um, mm -hmm. at, at about the, about where they are. Um, but that means that there's probably still a little bit of active fermentation going on, uh, which this yeast can get up to about 18% if you do things with it to make that happen. I wasn't necessarily targeting that. It did get to about, um, 12% ABV when I, was um, making it and I was trying to keep it there because that was the um, the target that we said things worked out to taste about right and be fairly mellow and I wanted to see if that happened with the cider also. So all that said, uh, have you tried your carbonated apple wine? <laughs> yeah, it, it's very lightly carbonated. There's really you can see it more in the glass than it actually like carbonates anywhere else. So, which is generally good because you have to kind of flavor things differently um, if it gets heavily carbonated. But so I think bad. I think that mine is more carbonated than yours. It might be. Yeah. You know, in those situations where it keeps fermenting, every bottle will be different, and mine kind of went straight in the fridge and has sat yeah. in the fridge for a couple weeks. So that'll really slow down any fermentation that's happening there. So yours might have been going for longer. Well, that it's, it's been going about two weeks longer. Um, I did set, uh, so I bottled this on the 19th, so it's been almost a month. And so for two weeks or like a week and a half, I had it sitting in my house and then I gave you the bottle and you put it in the fridge. Gotcha. So, yeah. Then, yeah, then it's really, it's a pretty slow burn then because two weeks is longer than you would normally bottle carb something like if yeah. it was out on the countertop it should have finished whatever it was doing so maybe it's just got some leftover stuff and there's always the talk of like acidity if it gets too acidic it's harder for fermentation to go through but regardless um this is a pretty good apple wine you know it hasn't had anything added to it so it's very simple it's kind of got the same sort of flavor profile as the strawberry wine i made you know it's just kind of the juice and sugars that have gone through so it doesn't get a lot of mouthfeel but it's got well, a pretty good I I did add 
tea and raisins mm. to the primary fermentation. And then in secondary, I dropped in cloves um, and um, uh, uh, some some cinnamon sticks. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll admit I'm getting none of that in my bottle. Um, it might be, again, and this is one of the things I've talked about before with active fermentation. It can take a lot of those flavors out. So mm -hmm. maybe the fact that it continued in the bottle kind of muted a lot of those. Most of what I get is just the apple flavor. It's fairly mild because it's used up most of the sugars. Because really, there is that's where all Wait, the fruit I'm is. I'm wrong. I am wrong. I'm thinking about a different one. I have an apple cider that's technically the same thing. It's an apple wine that mm -hmm. I made with a different yeast. Uh, I made it with safe cider, and it ended up being almost the same ABV. This gotcha. one, this one just had uh, some raisins, and that was it. I just put okay. a few raisins in in the primary fermentation. I gotcha. didn't do anything else. Yeah, it, it doesn't come through too much for me. Um, but again, every bottle is going to be different, and fermentation takes some stuff out. But well, I can tell a it, difference in the mouthfeel. Uh, compared to the other one, I mean, aside from the fact that I added more um, concentrate to this one, as the the mouthfeel between this one and the other apple wine that I made, this one is um, much more um, uh, wine-like, I guess. Really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting how, how different our bottles are, because I'll admit, I mean, mine drinks almost like water. Which is not an insult, you know. My strawberry wine did that because it had no tannins in it at all. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. We might have to do some experiments like that in the future of what really changes bottle to bottle as they age, especially for this stuff yeah. that isn't so industrial made and homogenized and things like that. But overall, I mean, it's got a, a little bit of a sweet flavor, which is nice. The apple comes through. Not everything you make has to be super complicated. This is a good little sipping yeah. wine. Yeah, I agree. It's I, I think it's a it's a nice refreshing wine, um, and the fact that there's a difference between bottles is very interesting to me. I do um, most of most of the bottles of things that I've made they've been fairly the same between the ones that that I've set up. So I'm interested to see how that how this ends up turning out. Um, you know, like in maybe six, seven months. Yeah. Um, we might also play a game of switching bottles around, see how much. This is a thing, and it's why people that do wine tastings kind of make a decent amount of money doing it. A lot of people, home brewers especially, will get themselves in placebo areas with the stuff they make. I think that's why a lot of the wines and uh, beers that we drink that we don't necessarily like, that the people who are making them are like, this is good enough to sell. I think yeah. you can sometimes taste things more if you know they're going to be in there. You know, and the same reason I think that's why lots of bottles like to really <clears throat> cut out exactly what's in them. So you're thinking about those flavors when you drink them. Because yeah. maybe there is a bit more of that raisin in there if you know it's in there. So you're like tasting for it. But I'll say I, in well, my I bottle. Actually don't, I don't taste the raisin. I don't taste it at all. I know it was in there, but it, it, there's just a difference in mouthfeel. And I don't know if it's that the raisin made the difference in mouthfeel or the um, the fact that I put two of the um, gotcha. It's more of the sugar in it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what made a difference. I can just, uh, or, or maybe it's the fact that it got carbonated. I mean, there's definitely a carbonation, but there's um there's a certain feel like I can even feel it on my tongue right now 
um, that I normally don't get off of the ciders when I just make this recipe normally. With, Interesting. Um, so normally it just kind of, it's just kind of like apple juice, right? It, just, it lays mm-hmm. on my tongue like apple juice. This one is a little bit more like a wine in the way it feels. Just yeah, it could just be the, nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. It could be the ABV, you know, things yeah. of a higher alcohol content kind of, you know, the, the ethanol has a particular quality to it, which is why I probably, you know, when I'm accounting it to the strawberry wine I made, these are almost the same ABV. Right, that's so true. So maybe, maybe that's where some of it is. It could be. I don't remember having the same mouthfeel. That was one of the things that I had said is that there were no tannins and there was very little mouthfeel from your wine, but I love, I, the, like, if, if I had the two which before me and it was, hey, would you rather drink this strawberry wine or this apple wine? I would rather drink the strawberry wine any day, even with all the, like, differences of going, going on with this one. I think in the future, though, I want to make this again with the extra concentrate in it and put some actual apples in, in it. Yeah. So, juice, concentrate, and, and apples, and see how that affects, and maybe some raisins and a few other things to bring out some of those tannins and those tannic properties that I'm looking mm-hmm. for to get for an apple wine. Yeah, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of tannin in most apple skins, unless you go for like the really dark ones. But a lot of additives bring in a lot of good tannins. You might try like gala apple juice, because it's a little bit milder, mm-hmm. or I've actually started trying the... Um, White House juice a little bit more, yeah, and I kind of like that for higher ABV stuff because it's not as acidic. So gotcha. if you get the the uh, ABV up there, you're throwing in all this extra sugar, or you're putting all this concentrate that are naturally very acidic. So having a little bit milder base, I thought was like that's what I used in the strawberry wine. So let's talk about murder hornets. <laughs> um, yeah, have you have you heard about these? Yeah, I have. <laughs> been reading through it. That's freaking terrifying, man. They're, they're giant hornets that came from Japan that cut off the heads of bees and then take them back for their young to feed off the bodies of the bee. But if they catch humans, supposedly, and I I, I don't know 100%, if, if they catch you and, and you're near their nest and they're mad at you, they'll just sting you to death. They'll just keep stinging you until you die. Um, which that, that, I mean, like killer bees, all the other things like that, that are out there, Africanized stuff, that's all, that's scary animal stuff, bullet dance. They're all like, you know, terrifying apocalyptic insectoid creature things. But this is, this is a little bit ridiculous, you know, <laughs> what, what in the apocalyptic F is going on? <laughs> that's what I'm, what I'm thinking. And now, and why now? Why? Why, why have they come come over here now? Is it just to like finish off the rest of us that the, you know, the virus hasn't killed yet? I, I have no idea. But I just I thought that that was uh, this is a bit of a departure. Um, what so what what have you heard about these things? Like what is, what is the thing that you, um, you know, kind of got in your mind about them? Yeah, the the biggest thing with these guys that I've heard is really the short term consequences. There's been a lot of talk about where they're located in the U.S. and kind of the environment they need to survive, that they're probably not a super long-term issue. 
we're trying to wipe them out as fast as we can, but even if we miss some, we're not really an ideal environment for them. Mm -hmm. But just short term, I mean, we already have problems with bees and apiaries. There really are not good bee habitat in the U.S. except for artificial ones. And the artificial ones keep having problems because, you know, mm -hmm. people are jerks. There was like an, an apiary not too far away from where I lived. It was just someone who had set one up on like a spare acre they had. That whole thing got destroyed because people are scared of bees. And even though there's no reason to be scared of honeybees, you know, especially in the South, people start thinking yellow jackets and stuff right. like that. So people just came through and just knocked over all the hives and all that stuff. So there's already not a great presence of them in a way that we can protect. You know, there's nothing we can do for the ones in the wild from a predator. You know, the only places we can defend are like large hubs and apiaries. And they'll just wipe through one. Yeah. I mean... There's already a couple apiaries that have had almost all of their hives destroyed because just a handful of these guys got in because uh, you can't really fight them because we don't have the natural kind of, it's not predator. There is a term for like non-prey species that limit the population of other predators. I don't remember what that's called. But, um, you know, really what keeps these hornets at bay in their natural environment is they've got smaller bees that use temperature to fight them. Um, they've got like, instead of like honeybees that really can't do anything except sting once, you can't sting through that like hard chit into them. Right. They like swarm them and just jiggle on them because they can survive a higher temperature. Yeah. Yeah. So they just bake them to death. And there's nothing over here doing that. So, you know, It'll be interesting to see where it goes. It's less of a threat, I think, to people directly, because they're not especially hostile. You know, they're they are to other insects, but they kind of live further away. They're not like sweeping through Asia and killing tons of people every year. Yeah, it's just but, it's the it's the whole. I mean, of course, the name's sensational, right? Murder hornets. But yeah. it's it's just the whole like, oh yeah, let's bring let's this is a good idea. We're gonna bring these hornets over. And that's gonna be good. Yeah. Um, Asian and, giant hornet. Yeah. <laughs> just why? Which why is funny. Do we, that's the uh, name. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need Asian giant hornets. Don't need anything like that. Bad idea. So, yeah. let's talk about surface headphones. Um, so that, you know, I've got the surface headphone uh, one, mm -hmm. and I love that. I, I love it. It's it's a great headset. It's not. It, it's it's a fairly comfortable headset. It's got fairly good um, noise uh, cancellation on it, and it's got a pretty good um, you know sound quality to it. So I really enjoy using them. I use them a good bit. Uh, they've been a pretty good um, headset, and I love the dial. So you mm -hmm. you don't just have like noise cancellation on and off. You can adjust that, and that's not for yeah. everybody. I totally understand. But I enjoy it. Like it's it's a thing, and they're not they're not like my um, Sennheisers, my AKGs, or something like that that are wired. Mm -hmm. I don't even compare them in the same sound quality sort of way because they have like a different warmth to them and everything. And they're Bluetooth headphones, so they're not they're not going to be generally as good. And I they aren't my favorite headphone compared to like my Sennheiser. Um, you know, um, 
the the noise canceling ones that I have the uh, the five fifties slip in my mind right now. Uh, but they're they're not my or my my favorite you know noise canceling headphones. But I do enjoy them and I use them a good bit. So Microsoft is making a second set of these, and they are basically the same thing with some of the same stuff, some improvements you know and stuff like that. I uh, included links, but I'm really excited about them. I'm going to try to get a set of them. However, the other thing I'm excited about is the earbuds that they're releasing um, because I've gotten kind of this sub-hobby of, like, taking things that I know maybe aren't great earbuds and seeing how good they are. Uh, but these are supposed to be able to, like, control, like, your Windows computer and stuff like that. You know, mm -hmm. tap on it, you control your phone, things like that. So I'm I'm interested to see uh because i've really found the microsoft surface products to be fairly polished except for one or two um they've been pretty good devices did you read through this and oh yeah, yeah. I, was, I was real excited for them um in fact i think i told you a while back that i was getting some new just like cheap headphones and i was originally going to buy just like also a new pair of like regular headsets because my current one's getting a little old you know it was really good when it was made and it's still pretty good now but you know it's like five years old this headset um but then i saw the surfaces are going to come out i really liked the one that i listened to when we did our first review of the surface one you know and you're right they're not as good as like real wired in headsets but i always listen on music while i'm moving mm -hmm. like i never sit down at a computer and listen to music unless i'm working at which at that point I don't care as much because it needs to come to my work headset because if someone calls me at work, I need to, you know, know what's happening. So, yeah, I saw those Surface 2s and I'm buying those. Um, and a paycheck or two, those are going to be mine. Yep, <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm thinking about uh, throwing throwing some in my cart. I got I got a little bit of uh, extra cash that came my way, and so I'm thinking about like that might be one of the things that I buy is either the the headphone or the um, the earbuds. I've talked to the wife about it, you know, but might be a thing. So yeah, possible review coming up on those. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, you know, there's a new iPad that's come out. It's not, there's nothing really different about it than the previous iPad that the Apple fanboys and there are people that really love these things. that will say like, you know, it's got the new iPad OS has this and that. And it, it, look, I understand, but from a functional standpoint, for me, these are still content consumption devices there are some things that i enjoy using them for that aren't content consumption and you know there's some light work like being able to update a laptop uh, or a, a server or something like that through ssh while i'm setting somewhere there's even some terminal stuff that i can do from them but overall it's not really a um I, even though i use mine all the time it's not really like a work device mm. Well, now they have a new keyboard with the new iPad, which I mean they, they were announced at the same time. But it's a it's a keyboard that has the magic keys on it, so it's like a magic keyboard from Apple, and it has a trackpad on it. So now you have mouse and keyboard support for your iPad, and Apple's you know selling it, of course, as like a um, new device. That's, you're going to replace your laptop. You don't need a 13-inch laptop because you can get a 12-inch iPad and blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And there may be some people, they don't all they do is like they write emails and things like that. They can actually get by with these things. 
What yeah. do you think about that? I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, I think they're they're really 100% right where that goes. I mean, having had to look at like a lot of companies and, you know, help them talk about what sort of devices did they really need. Um, a lot of people that use laptops could really get away with a tablet of some sort. You know, whether Apple or somebody else, or like a Surface or even some of these like Samsung tablets, if most of what you do, even to some people in a professional capacity, is write emails, like do surfing, do like social media content, things like that. These tablets are really far enough along that you don't need the traditional like home computer setups anymore. I mean, I know my mother has a nice computer that got custom built for her, hasn't touched it in years, because she got her iPad. That's all she needs. Okay, well, so so let let let's say you can buy an iPad, even the the one with the type cover and everything um and you can you can use that and it costs you six hundred dollars okay mm -hmm. maybe maybe doesn't have 512 gigs of storage and all that other stuff is like i think it's like 128 i agree with you on that like i'm a mom sitting at home but they're not trying to target that towards people that's not the people they're trying to target that towards they're saying like a network engineer like me and you you could develop on this. <laughs> yeah, no, at, at that level you lose it because you need yeah. you need some other tools, tools of the trade that really go on those things. But I mean, if they were going to say, hey, are you a secretary? You can use this. Absolutely. I mean, I've made that recommendation to people before years ago. Yeah. When one yeah. of the companies I was doing IT consulting for was looking to get their next, what are our computers going to be? They were looking at these, you know, like T-Series Lenovo's. Like, that's great for your heavy hitters. Are they doing tons of Excel work? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Does your front desk receptionist, who also acts as a personal assistant, that's going everywhere, need this laptop she has to look around? No. Probably not. Get her one of the, the LTE-enabled tablets for, so she can still do any of her work stuff she needs to do while she's out, you know, picking up flowers. Because a lot of her job was, like, running out and going places to prepare the office. Yeah, but that's not, that's not what they're targeting this for. This is a yeah. pro-series. Targeting towards, well... They're, yeah, they're I'll take people throw a pro on everything, whether or not they actually. I, I, I understand that. And look, you, you know, you know how I feel about this. But this device is supposed to be for people that are supposed to be doing serious work, is the way they're saying it. And they're and they're they're really like, well, if you're a media creation, you know, person and you're doing this and you're doing that, you should be getting an iPad instead of a MacBook. And look, I've got my I've got my opinions about laptops that Apple makes too. They're, they're fancy and nice and pretty, and they've got, like, a lot of good things, but they're not really – there's nothing really special to them anymore, and the software is really what they're selling you, um, you know, the, and the, the hardware is really not that powerful anymore. It's fairly um, behind the times when it comes to, to certain things. The iPad on an ARM chip, that's great. But you're telling me that you're going to do serious, like, 8K video editing on this thing. Maybe. Maybe you're going to do some, some email work. Maybe you're going to do some, some stuff like that. You might draw on it. Okay, I can see those use cases. But if you're talking about that you are going to give this to a traveling, like, network engineer or a traveling developer or... You know, somebody like that, that's that's just ludicrous. That's not going to happen. And I use my iPad all the time. 
So I'm not I'm not saying that they don't have uses, but it, it's like 1,200 bucks if you buy all this stuff together. The the keyboard's like 350. The iPad itself is like you know a thousand to get one that's used. Yeah. I mean, looking but, through its its white papers, if you use one of the smaller MacBook, maybe, you know, a lot of these tools now are starting to go towards like cloud processing. So it's not all done directly on the computer. It all gets uploaded to some server that does the computation, comes back down. Yeah, but you can't. I you mean, can't carry I'm already that with you on a plane and use it or something like that. So no, I mean, like a lot of those tools are, are becoming cloud-based now. It's That's like, exactly matter, what you know, I'm saying. Internet. What I'm saying is, you don't have the internet necessarily on a plane. Well, yeah, but it's, <laughs> if it's a cloud-based solution, it doesn't help you if it's a laptop or an iPad. You still don't have internet access. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it doesn't help yeah. you either way. Uh, yeah, I'll say, use yeah, like if you use a smaller MacBook, maybe you can use this. Of course, I'm also the kind of person that says don't do serious work on a smaller MacBook. Yeah, I, I say the same thing. So, so I don't know. It's it's It feels to me like this is just price gouging. This is more expensive than it needs to be. You could do this for better for the same price range, or you could do it at this quality cheaper um, via a different vendor. But that's that's the whole Apple MO. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of developers that are our current place of employment that use MacBooks. I don't necessarily agree with that, apart from it is nice to have some things on Unix, but I'd rather throw up a VM or realistically, the way I have it set up, I'd rather have a network accessible Nook. Yeah, because I've got mine set up that as long as my router's up, which isn't right now because we've been doing testing on it. But as long as my router's configured, I can remote desktop into it. So I can be anywhere that has internet access, well, I guess over the VPN access, yeah. and connect to it. So I don't really need it to be built into the laptop directly. Nope. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I have a similar setup with uh, my development machines. So I have, I do have one beast of a machine that I got though. That's just a Linux powered, you know. Yeah, I think we talked about your set, your yeah. setup <laughs> on one of the previous podcasts. Yeah, yeah, we did. So like, uh, you know. And I've even updated that thing since since then. So it's got um, more storage and things like that. And I use it all the time. Like whenever I'm trying to figure out how to run a script or something, you know, there's there's things that I do uh, where I drop that in. But it's not um, it, that is a better solution, I think. Than, and it costs about the same as a as an iPad. Yeah. For, with the magic keyboard. So. Um, you, you and I both love our our, our switches, and um, I don't know. If, did you ever get to Animal Crossing at, at any point in time? Is that a video game you ever played? You ever I didn't play it? it too much, but I'm watching my wife play it multiple times a day right now. So, so, do, so do you think if uh, if you met Alice in uh, at this point in time in life, and she was like, you should play this game? So th this is the thing that I did with uh, an ex-girlfriend um, yeah, before I met my wife. Mm. Uh, I, I had this girlfriend. She liked to play video games with me. And specifically, she liked – I had a Nintendo GameCube, and she and I would switch off. Like, when I, whenever she wanted to play, she'd play the GameCube, and we would leave each other's stuff. And it was fun. And, it, I mean, like, I'm, I'm saying it kind of like, yeah, it was great, but – I mean, like, really, it, it was like a really sweet thing. It was kind of cute mm -hmm. and fun, and um, and that was that was a great like kind of bonding thing. Um, 
so I, I do see like the draw of being able to play this with like a significant other. Um, but how about like getting married virtually through your Animal Crossing thing? Like, I mean, in the quarantine right now, I can see it. You know, the, the world where like people are doing their graduations in Minecraft and stuff like that. Um, outside of it, probably not so much. And there's better things for it. So here's the thing I'll say about Animal Crossing. As much as my wife loves it, as she plays with people here and there, a very common complaint is you're not really playing with each other. Yeah. Because you build this island and you put all this furniture in it that you can't interact with. You know, she's built like a playground, but she can't go down the slides. You know, she plays with the kids she babysits on her. Because you're really just walking around together. There are plenty of games that are kind of more built around those sort of interactions that you could you could be monopolizing on. I'll admit, we I didn't do a whole lot of back and forth on console. We played a lot of two-player games together. But one thing we did when we were in college, when we lived in different dorms, is we found some of the, I don't even remember, if, it probably doesn't even exist anymore, but it was just some Korean MMO that's really built around the idea it's you and one other person playing in your party. Oh, yeah, um, I, I remember this game. Um, was it, it was the blocky one, the like kind of cutesy blocky one. Um, it was definitely like cell shaded, more cartoony, but it wasn't blocky. Um, I'm well, sure there I, were tons I, of them. I'm like 95 percent sure we're talking about the same thing. I don't remember the name of it either. Yeah, we might be. Yeah, but yeah, no, we went. We played that a lot. We just played like a two-player MMO thing. Went around, fought monsters, did quests, you know, and that was a fun thing for us to do together. So I can see it absolutely. If you can't go see each other, you don't want to delay it. You don't want to change the date. Yeah, jump in Animal Crossing, jump in Minecraft. It's whatever you can talk to with a little Discord server in the background. Why not? Yeah. I well, I, I'm not. I mean, pe people make their own decisions. You do what you want to do. If the technology lets you do that, that's great. Um, I just I, the reason I put this on here is it is a very interesting world that we live in. Where on one side of a conversation you can open up with murder hornets, and on the end of the conversation. You can talk about getting married in the virtual world where you're supposed to find uh, seashells and things like that to give to your to your um, significant other. Mm -hmm. yeah. So on that note, uh, we're taking the summer off and uh, returning in fall. Uh, this will be our last episode for Beer and Broadband uh, for the, for this half of the year. Uh, that doesn't mean that we might not do something like we did last year where we find something really interesting and we throw in an episode in the middle, but, you know, don't expect anything for till somewhere around September, probably the middle or end of September, we'll come back and we'll do another, um, 10 or so episodes, um, of, for beers and brewing and things like that. We should have some more, uh, wine and mead. And I actually tried my hand at a beer, um, that didn't carbonate it did and this is why we're not talking about it on here <laughs> other than just to say it kind of failed it it's my first stout um and i want to i wanted it to be good and it was a milk stout so like i was super excited about it and it tastes fine but it's not really it's not really what i wanted it to be i'm going to give it away yeah. to people and stuff like that but i'm a bit disappointed it didn't do it didn't go to the it didn't go to the ABV I wanted it to. It's a little bit too hoppy, all this other stuff. So we'll see. 
Yeah, keep keep it up. Here's here's the thing I've always said about that. Beer is in my mind one of the hardest non-distilled alcohols to make and to make well. You know, wine can get a little bit difficult, but it's really just about knowing what certain flavors happen at certain times. Mm-hmm. Like you can almost index it. You know, it's a little bit more scientific in that regard. You can make a pretty good guesstimate of what something will taste like as long as you know how these ingredients change. Cider, super easy. Mead, even easier. But beer, there's a lot of variables there. Water gets a little bit too aggressive. Oh, well, now it's bitter. Uh, you know, you were supposed to boil it for five minutes, but you boiled it for seven. Oh, well, now this flavor is too strong, you know? Yeah. Especially because I think you did, you used a recipe, but you didn't, it wasn't extract. It was full grain, right? It was full grain. Uh, the the problem was that the container, so I was supposed to, I bought an eight gallon container because that's what it said to boil. But really, I should have bought a 12 gallon container. Really? Um, and so, so I ended up having to split the, the grains between two different, Oh, during the boil. Yeah, during yeah. the boil. And it just, it, it, it didn't work out. So what I'm going to do next time, I'm going to make the exact same recipe because I think it's going to be a great one. I'm going to cut the hops in half because I, I think that they're needed. I, uh, I feel like they, they were the right things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there were too many of them. And I am going to, well, so the, you know, per volume, not, not yeah. make it. So I'm gonna, I think it would be, end up being one total package of, of hot pellets. And um, I am going to get make a two-gallon batch instead of a six-gallon batch, which is what I was supposed to make. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ferment that in one of my two-and-a-half-gallon buckets and see how that turns out. And if that turns out good, then I'll make another big batch. Yeah. Okay. Have you thought about, since you don't like hops that much, looking at like hop alternatives? Because the whole reason hops exist, um, like, you know, nowadays there's a whole bunch of different types that you can use for flavor. But originally, the reason hops were added at all was because they're a preservative. Preservative, yeah, I know. Uh, so so, so I, I have, I want to look at hop alternatives in the future, but I want to master this, um, the, this recipe first. Okay. I want to I be able to make it the way it's supposed to be made. Because it is one of my favorite beers, and I don't like. And whenever I I drink it, I don't really taste the hops in it. So mm-hmm. like I I got it wrong. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get it right, and then I'm gonna look at some of the other ways that I can tweak it to be just the like. Can I put it in a barrel and age it for like a month, and let it become a bourbon barrel? Can I increase the ABV from six percent to eight percent or ten percent? You know, like some things like that and see, like, play around with the recipe to get it to where I want it to be. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yes, I am eventually going to experiment with that. I just want to get, like, a good base beer first. Gotcha. Well, that said, um, look look to the fall to find out what happens because I'm probably going to make, like, two or three more batches of this before fall. Otherwise, uh, this has been the 12th episode of Season 3 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. We appreciate your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all the necessary workers that are out there during this shelter and home time period. We really, really, really appreciate you. Um, And hopefully when we come back in the fall, most of this stuff will be over and everyone will be back to kind of a normal lifestyle. Um, But we'll see. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you in the fall.